The Start On Demand. On demand. Should they stay or should they go? Coming up on this podcast edition of The Start, we're going to talk about the protests here in Winnipeg and Ottawa. How long will they last? Should police intervene? And where are you at with your frustration level? Three consecutive Scotties championships. We've got the one, the only, Carrie Anderson. How was her team feeling when once again it all came down to the final shot? And what does Bob Irving have to say about the Scotties final and the word dynasty? Does it apply to Team Anderson? With more people working from home, kids are increasingly part of the workspace, either accidentally or intentionally appearing on those Zoom calls and meetings with the boss. Have we crossed a line? And how do they do it? Nature interpreter Heather Hyman joins us to talk about the super cool science that keeps some wildlife feeling just fine, even in the extreme cold. It's February 7th, and this is today's edition of the Start Podcast. Maclean and McNabb in this morning. McGarry off for a couple of days. In our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win four tickets to the home renovation show that's coming up in just a week or so's time. And just after seven, Greg, we're going to continue a chat. We started at six about the protests that are taking place right across this country. And of course, there was what happened in Winnipeg on Saturday with the arrest of a man uh, accused of a hit and run on protesters right outside the legislative build, building, a very disturbing allegation there. And then um, then there's what's going on in Ottawa with Ottawa declaring a state of emergency. And you've got some questions you'd like to ask. Well, yes, you know, it's all well and good to have my own thoughts, but I'm trying to approach this from the, from the legal standpoint, certainly uh, based on what we've seen on television and on, on social media, the last 10 days has been uh, <laughs> trying would be an understatement for those trying to live a normal life in downtown Ottawa. But you know, my question is at what point does a protest like this become unlawful and at what point did we cross that point in Ottawa because we know we're hearing in the news this morning that Ottawa police are taking action in terms of uh, diesel and 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 uh, other supplies for those that have set up basically what looks like an encampment in downtown Ottawa so when did we get that point when did we cross from lawful to unlawful and that, that's, that's uh, really the biggest question I want answered at this point in time and if you look at Quebec and uh, Quebec City they did not mess around uh, yesterday and over the weekend. Yeah they just issued tickets of, basically right they made it like right. a truck inspection line if you're in this mm-hmm. line and your truck's too heavy to be on this road you're gone. Yep so uh, lots of questions for sure, and uh, hopefully we'll get some answers throughout the morning here on the start and throughout the day on CJOB. So we'll continue the conversation at Winnipeg protests at 7 at 7.50. We're going to visit with David Aiken out of Ottawa. But right now we kind of want to talk about kids in the workplace because it wasn't so long ago, Greg, that a kid appearing on camera while an anchor or interview subject was talking on TV would have really led to a rash of apologies. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting <laughs> shifting sands in the region. Do you think relations with the north may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <laughs> the um, pardon me. 
That was a clip from, I can't believe it's been five years, but I remember howling at that clip in 2017. So this is, of course, BBC. Professor Robert Kelly was trying to explain South Korean politics, and there were some issues going on there. And his daughter, Marion, comes dancing into the room, right, with her hands in the air, and she's just having a great day. And then James strolls in in his walker, like this baby pushing his way in, and then you hear this wife and the mom just... Right? Like, oh no, what am I, what's happening? She kind of crawls on the floor, right, Greg, to try to drag these kids out. Yep. They were all clearly embarrassed by it. But when the world act reacted, I think, you know, mostly with laughter, they decided to embrace it too. And man, things have really changed. No question about it. We always had this air about being on the radio and on television that, you know, everything had to be framed perfectly and there shallant be any distractions in the background and things had to be just so. Well, obviously things have changed a lot in the pandemic. And when you're pointing out that this is five years ago, this has really surprised me. So we're a lot more accustomed to these on-screen interruptions these days without question. Uh, could be yourself during your Zoom meeting. Like, you know, you hear a crying baby or maybe it's just, uh, you know, a kid tugging on your arm looking for some food or looking for some attention. Uh, during that chat with your boss, you might ask to hit pause to feed those kids or get them out the door just last week. A meteorologist in Milwaukee brought her 13-week-old daughter on screen during a weather check. She's prepared. She's got one of her good thick blankies here for that cold weather that's coming up tonight. So I thought she could help me with tonight's first weather, which is going to be pretty unpleasant, right? 13-week-old Fiona recently joined her mother, meteorologist Rebecca Schuld, in delivering the Milwaukee weather forecast. Fiona hung in there for the entire segment, but it looks like she didn't go through hair and makeup beforehand. And again, you'll have to excuse her bedhead. She just got up from her nap. Rebecca is just returning to work after maternity leave, but she's not broadcasting from the studio. So this is my actual basement and it's not 100% clean, but this is real life, folks. And I've gotten approximately 20 hours of sleep in the past three months. So let's talk about what's most important, what most people want to know about, and that is our newest hometown baby. Fiona's appearance on television wasn't planned. Rebecca says she walked in front of the camera while holding the baby for a mic check when her producer Nick back in the studio noticed. And he was just like, oh, is that your baby? Is she gonna make an appearance? And I said, sure, do you want her to? I just didn't realize the magnitude of what that was going to be. The joy that a little tiny baby has brought to so many people. I've been getting calls, emails, everything on my social media. Like now it's just like, whenever I do weather, they want to see the baby now, so. Well, we were talking about fur babies last week and mm -hmm. the joy that they bring to the workplace. And anytime a cat or a dog or other animal makes an appearance in the background, that's always a hit. So just as long as the babies don't become props, Loren, I'm completely cool with this. In fact, I'd like to see a little bit more of it. Uh, just that, that real life, that juggling act that so many of us do while trying to do our jobs, whether it's in broadcasting or otherwise. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's so many people who are still working from home, and we have all these conversations about where working from home will take us. I know a lot of you don't, and you don't even have, it's not an option to bring your kid to work. I get it. You could be in the hospital or construction or a teacher. You can't just be walking down the hall with, you know, your four kids in tow. I understand that. But we've we've learned a lot in the last two years about how to balance, or we hope better balance things. And so that's the question mm -hmm. we want to ask. Like, is this cute are you okay with it does it make you say ah oh, or are you annoyed and 
Even uh, the NHL over the weekend, Greg, had a bit of exposure to this. The All-Star Game Saturday, which is really a family affair. Like, it's fun for the players. I know they were in Vegas. It might have been partying for some. But a lot of people bring their kids. And Steve Stamkos brought his son, Carter, into the media <laughs> interview with him. I want it. I want it. You understand? No, no. I want to see Zamboni. Oh, uh, okay. We'll go see the Zamboni. We'll do this quick, okay? <laughs> Stammer, how's it feel, man, to take this whole weekend in with the fam? I might have to go to see the Zamboni. <laughs> but no, it was it was great, obviously, to share it with these guys, to share it with him. Okay, we'll go. Here, have a drink of water. But it was, uh, it's just about sharing it with, with this guy for me, so that, that was really fun. I get it, right, Greg? I mean, like, that's cute in that moment. I don't think he's going to be bringing his son into every media scrum after every single game, right? But are we comfortable with just having this more? And maybe that might help with some of those questions and answers in certain circumstances. Uh, yeah, and I'm, su- I'm surprised none of the... None of the uh, media started interviewing Carter. It sounded like he had a lot more interesting things to say than uh, Steve Stamkos did. And the, the, the desire to drive the Zamboni, well, what's the deal? What, have you ever driven a Zamboni before? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so what, from what point of view is this kid asking to drive the Zamboni? Lots of question that, questions that could have been asked and answered there for sure. Uh, Steph Curry, I pointed this out. We were talking earlier this morning. You know, his daughter was a big part of the press conferences uh, in the Golden State Warriors' first run to an NBA championship. We're seeing it more and more, and I, I, I can dig it. So here's the question. Is this cute? Does this make you say, aw? Or are you annoyed by the growing acceptance for interruptions by kids? We want to know. Is there a lie? So in our last segment, we were talking about kids in the workplace. Depending on where you work, you might be hearing them or seeing them more, maybe on that video call with coworkers or maybe even on TV, like the weather meteorologist who had her baby in her arms while delivering a report in Milwaukee. So right now we want to talk about kids, like the times you were unexpectedly happy to see them. Maybe they made your day. It doesn't have to be your own kid. It can just be a stranger's baby in the mall or what have you. Or maybe you were surprised to see them in a certain surrounding like Reese Witherspoon's character in Sweet Home Alabama. baby in a bar we want to hear a story from you right now because at 9 15 we're going to give away four tickets to the winnipeg renovation show taking place at the rbc convention center february 18th so let's go around the horn jeff braun let's start with you you uh i think you're you're a kid guy oh yeah and the the biggest deal with kids for me is at the airport yes. you see them waiting by the gate and everybody's looking at them and everybody's thinking one of t- or two things first of all I wonder what seat they're in. And number two, <laughs> is it going to be a good flight or a bad flight? Because it can go either way, right? And uh, so it, it, it can be a nightmare if they're right near you and they scream and cry the whole time. If they're far away, you can just put on your headphones and it's fine. But I love it when they're in a good, happy, giggly mood and they're sitting in the row in front of me because they're always facing backwards because that's how the parents <laughs> hold them. And then I can see them between the crack and the chairs and then I get to spend the flight uh, 
making faces at them and trying to make them giggle and stuff. Yeah, as long as they're not <laughs> kicking your seat, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Cam, how about you? Well, the kids nowadays, I mean, they have like these giant headphones and they have their iPads <laughs> and they're like busy the whole flight. We even did the bugged our parents and poked our brothers and sisters when we went. But anyways, uh, Disney World is like the greatest place in the world to watch children. Um, there was like a bunch of quotes that we heard from kids. I mean, my wife will like say to each other, like there was one girl, she was running around the stores and I guess her dad had told her, um, you can pick one thing, one gift. And she was running around all the stores. No, no, no. This is the gift that I'm going to choose. <laughs> and you just imagine that she's picked like probably seven or eight things already. But no, no, this is the one. Um, there's a couple kids, lightsaber battling at Disney World. Just obviously the father's frustrated. He's counting all the dollars that he spent that day. <laughs> I didn't lose. Dad told me th to stop. I didn't lose. I beat you. <laughs> Another kid um, like uh, like we're in this line for this other uh, uh, this other ride and this kid is not very amused and his mother's pointing at something and she goes hey look it's a jellyfish and uh, the kid no it's not a jellyfish it's a bioluminescent plant so like just the crazy things that kids say like it is it was just it was just fantastic so we we, we quote all that stuff all the time <laughs> best best place to watch ki kids is disney world <laughs> and then see their parents too right like sometimes parents yeah. at disney world you just feel sad they seem so sad like get me out of here this line is so long i can't I, handle I've it i've spent twelve hundred dollars <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I love it when a kid has a good tantrum. Not my own. When it's someone else's, it's always good. But I remember seeing a five-year-old just hands down in the mall, like feet kicking and the mom's trying to do that walk away thing, right? Like I'm going to walk away and hopefully they'll get up. And you're trying to give the mom the eye contact, the telepathic message. Like, it's okay. I get it. I get what you're going through. But oh, <laughs> that's hard. Forche, how about you? I am never around kids. But for some reason, <laughs> I come out of the bathroom one time at the movie theater and uh, turn the corner and some kid pops in and goes, yeah, scared the crap out of me. He's wearing a Iron Man mask. Like, where are your parents? What is going on here? Jeez. But you kind of liked it in the end, no? Well, it made me laugh afterwards but <laughs> like where'd you come from uh kids make you i think it's kind of is like a pet when they just do something that doesn't make sense but you know what it would be like greg you know to be in that five-year-old's mind how about you what are some of those unexpected moments for you oh well i've had kids around my entire life uh you know my brother and i are 23 months apart and then there's a big gap between me and uh, my next youngest brother who's nine years younger than me and then I've got another four or five years and I've got two more siblings so I've always had babies around and Forche this is a this is a cue for you I don't have any babies to lend you anymore but from a very early age from junior high high school whenever I had one of my siblings around it was always good for uh, the females to see me with with my younger siblings they saw a different side of you it was a good marketing tool you know how when you go to the park with Wait a minute. dog and everybody wants to talk no. to the tar uh, to talk to the dog well everybody wants to talk to somebody with a baby <laughs> you just so, said in the last <laughs> segment you hands on a baby, i don't want Jeff. babies to be a prop in any sort of work situation <laughs> and now you're literally telling Forte to grab a baby yep. and head on down to like yep to get He's himself the only a single date. one in our group. He <laughs> needs he needs to borrow a baby for for a okay. couple of hours, and uh, I think I think you meet uh, somebody really nice, worthy of your time, shall we say? You see, I, I like that idea, but you can just keep that prop. <laughs> okay, 
Okay, well, let us know a time that a kid, you know, in a situation unexpectedly surprised you, maybe made you laugh. You maybe were surprised to see them at a social or in a bar. Don says a few weeks ago in Sobeys, there was a kid having a tantrum, and the mother just looked on and said, where are your parents? And then walked away down the aisle. So I love that. But first, of course, February, Greg, is Black History Month. And there are so many events planned throughout the province to really honour the event every single day of February. That's right. Michael Young and his crew present non-trivial trivia night. And we welcome him back to the start. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Greg. Great to have you back on the show. And uh, Black History Month, obviously a a big part of the landscape here in Manitoba. Tell us before you, you... let us in on what you're doing mm-hmm. on that front. Just tell us, remind our listeners about non-trivial trivia night. Well, we um, non-trivial trivia night is about learning. So our trivia events are open book, uh, which means you're not going to feel any pressure to make a guess in five seconds. Uh, the idea is to be asked questions you don't know the answer to. And we, we give you lots of time to look it up and learn. Uh, the quicker you find the answer online, the more points you get. But uh, yeah, answering correct is a given. You don't score that way. You you score by answering quickly. So uh, it's, an, it's a trivia game with a kind of a twist. We uh, we play the game online, but we gather together over Zoom. And kids on Zoom, yeah, I'm 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 good with that. <laughs> you got to get used to it, right, Michael? I've never yeah I've never had uh, any time a kid's jumped into Zoom. And he's always been uh, been a, a blessing, you know, and. Uh, but uh, we do our things family friendly. So, so we get some families on uh, tonight. We're giving, a, I mean, sorry, not tonight, but uh, this Saturday, uh, the prize is actually a kid's book uh, about uh, uh, Viola Desmond. Uh, so we do have families that play together, uh, which gives them a bit of an edge, right? You can have, uh, have the mom on the Google and the kids uh, <laughs> reading the questions. So it's, uh, it's a team effort sometimes. Learning for everyone. So that's Michael Young uh, talking about non-trivial trivia night. Also joining us this morning is Carrie McKay. And, and Carrie, I'm curious... When did you decide to get involved with this event? Did one of the trivia nights, but I know it was a lot of fun. And uh, probably within the last month and a half or so, Michael reached out and uh, found out if I wanted to get more involved with the organizing team. And of course, I clearly said yes. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's always been a really fun event to go to and learn and go into the events, knowing that I really don't know anything about the topic that we're talking about but when I leave I know certainly more than I I did when I came in and you know pick up a lot of fun information and learn about marginalized histories. Carrie that's an interesting point that normally when you go into a trivia contest you put your hand up to say you know yeah I want to go on Jeopardy or or something uh less uh less high profile it's because you feel like you know a lot about a lot of things but I get the sense for for a lot of your competitors and and those that join for non-trivial trivia night it isn't about proving what you know it's maybe about finding out and learning what you didn't know yeah exactly and and a lot about how fast you can type in google and and know how to google the right thing to get the answer that you want so if you're good at google you're probably going to be good at this game so michael how is this working in conjunction with black history month how will the trivia event work well, we partnered up with uh, Black History Manitoba, so we're going to be bringing, uh, bringing you folks uh, Canadian Black History, which is a little bit uh, harder to find than what you, what you find on, online because, uh, you know, the U.S. is so much bigger, bigger than us. Um, so uh, 
that's kind of how we're partnered up with them. They're, they help us out with their Zoom account, and they're going to be attending as well. If that, um, did, if that didn't answer your question, if you could just uh, be a little more specific, I don't, I'm going to lost you there. Well, you talked a bit about how you're yeah. going to look into uh, Viola Desmond, of course, uh, and a bit of the backstory there, which, they, which I think the kids are learning a lot about in school, Michael, now, but it's actually, mm-hmm. quite frankly, not a story I was even aware of growing up. You might have known about Rosa Parks, and you just referenced the idea uh, that we maybe have a bet, better knowledge of our American uh, black history, but maybe not so much about Canadian or Manitoba. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, we started this thing um, a good year and a half ago, and we were learning all about the civil rights mu- movement and all the stuff that happened down down south. And around this time, I learned about uh, Black History Manitoba on, um, might have been on your show, maybe not. They were on a radio uh, thing around this time last year, right? Because there's a focus on uh, Black history. So we uh, reached out with them and they said, yeah, we'd love to work with you, but uh, we want to uh, we want to help you um, promote Canadian black history. So it's been a really interesting uh, learning experience since we've uh, connected with them. Carrie, I want to get involved. How do I do it? Uh, you can find us on social media. So on Twitter, we are non underscore triv, T-R-I-V. Instagram, we are non trivial trivia, bit of a mouthful. And on Facebook, we are non trivial trivia nights. And that's a group where you can kind of meet people and, and chat a little, bit, a little bit about what we are learning. And when's the next event? It's uh, this Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, registrations are on Eventbrite, and um, you can get the Eventbrite link uh, at any one of those uh, social handles that Terry mentioned. Uh, Greg, I can send it to you if, if you'd like. If you wanted to, I'd be happy to share it. People know your Twitter instead, and they, if people might be driving, they might not have wrote down everything Carrie's saying. So. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's a mouthful to say non-trivial trivia, right, Michael? So we might, we might as well put it in writing on Twitter to get that done. I'm curious, is there like a prize or is it just more about the, the pride of winning the night or what happens like once you are declared victor? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, yeah, we, um, we get our books through uh, Tusame. Uh, that's Winnipeg's uh, Black-owned bookstore. And we, off, we really like to give away books that, are, uh, that kind of tie in with the, uh, with the topic. So uh, this week... Uh, You've got a chance of winning a book about uh, Viola Desmond. Sorry, Viola Desmond. Viola. <laughs> and uh, it's through Scholastic. So this is, um, this is a good family prize uh, this time. All right. Michael Young, Carrie McKay, thank you both for joining us. And we'll look forward to Saturday night's event. What time does it get underway so I can mark it in my calendar? 7 p.m. Perfect. We'll thank you, Michael. Thanks, Carrie. Okay. Thank you. Michael Young and his crew, they present non-trivial trivia night. And, of course, Carrie McKay has been involved in it as well. It sounds pretty cool. And I like the idea that you don't have, like, you feel pressure to know more when you go into some trivia nights, Greg, right? This is more about learning as you go. And I love that aspect of it. I think about any time you sit down uh, with a book and, and you think, oh, yeah, I know all about uh, fill in the blank. And then you realize uh, what you didn't know. And that's a sign of maturity, supposedly, right? Yeah. The younger you are, the more you think you know. The older you get, the more you realize you, you don't know. And that's and that's just part of the maturing process. So uh, it's a fascinating way to go about things. And I love the trivia thing. But the whole idea, I think I'd need Brett McGarry on, on our team for sure because he's the master of the Google Foo. Although you're pretty quick yourself in terms of getting things going. with <laughs> Those fingers light on fire, McNabb. Yeah, but my memory is no good. So uh, we'd have to... I think the better the team approach is better with trivia. I drove past the legislative building just around four this morning. Of course, 
at least a dozen or two dozen trucks still down there. Let us know what you're seeing if you're passing Broadway this morning, 780-6868. We want to get now to the situation in Ottawa or the city of Ottawa declaring a state of emergency in response to the convoy protesters, which, of course, continue to occupy the downtown core of the nation's capital. And that is where we find our chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning, David. Hey, Loren, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. How, how did things go overnight? Well, it was a little quieter for the first time in a long time. You know, one of the big issues here has been the constant blowing of the air horns, which is really disruptive any resident uh, living here. At the end of last week, the uh, organizers, the lawyer for the organizers said there'd been a, quote, accord to uh, keep quiet between eight, in the ni- 8 at night and 8 in the morning. They didn't do that in the week, and they were blowing their, their horns all night on Friday night and on Saturday. But apparently last night, it was a little quieter. And dare I say it, I don't want to jinx it, it's uh, just come up to 9 o'clock local time in Ottawa. And I've got the trucks right under my window, 14 floors up here on Parliament Hill. Haven't heard any honks, no toots, so knock on wood, it'll be a little quieter. But they're still here, uh, still a significant police presence. The city is in a state of emergency, declared yesterday by the city's mayor. Um, not sure what that means, but it does mean the city can, it's easier for the city to procure things, to buy things, not as much red tape. The, the, the police last overnight did arrest seven people on a variety of charges. There's 60 investigations underway. And here's something that's disturbing. A resident of a downtown apartment building saw this happen last night on the building's uh, video secure, security video system. Individual came into the apartment lobby, taped the door shut, and then tried to light the building on fire. The individual was confronted by a resident, said, I, said I'm a protester, uh, fled. The fire was put out. Police are investigating. Now, the protester organizers say they're peaceful. They're trying to be, you know, have church services and love everybody. But there's been lots of arrests, lots of reports of verbal harassment, physical assaults for people who are just walking around wearing masks. And now this attempt at arson. It's got people in the downtown core nervous, on edge. And that's why we're in a state of emergency. The police say they've lost control. David, it's Greg here. And, uh, you know, through this entire last 10, 11 days, trying to get information uh, from different sources has obviously been a challenge. Uh, The protesters, in some cases, don't want to speak to the mainstream media. So you're going through social media to try and get an idea of what's going on. We can't be everywhere at all times. Last night, reports of police going after uh, diesel fuel and other supplies. Have you got any information on that? Yeah, that's right. And so uh, our reporters were there. The the protesters had established uh, a couple of supply depots, one near the downtown core, sort of a couple of kilometers away. And that was a big one. Lots of fuel, lots of food uh, and other supplies. And uh, police in riot gear and weapons drawn moved in, seized all that. Uh, The the strategy of police now is uh, essentially to deny the uh, truckers parked on Parliament Hill uh, the fuel they need to keep the trucks going. Perhaps, you know, that will get them to go. And there was another sort of area closer to the downtown in a place called Confederation Park, um, which is uh, just near the National War Memorial. Um, there had been also a, the, the protester had, protesters had built a wooden shed, which they were going to use as a kitchen. That was dismantled and removed by police. Police now have a fence around that area. And again, you know, I, I think I mentioned this, if you watched our newscast on Friday, for the first time, Pretty much anyone can ever remember uh, in Ottawa. Our National War Memorial has a has a fence around it. Um, and uh, once again, I go back to the idea: protesters say the organizers say they're peaceful, but clearly police believe that we've had to protect our National War Memorial from the vandalism we saw uh, of last weekend. The fence remains this morning around our National War Memorial. 
David, we have just about 30 seconds here. So I'm curious what we're hearing from our different politicians. I know every, every party has weighed in in some respects. Some people are saying the prime minister should be saying something. Do we expect to have him come out and speak about this? I know he's against it and he wants it to basically go away, but will he actually publicly speak about it? Yeah, I think it's remarkable that the national capital of the country is in a state of emergency. We have not heard from the prime minister of the country. He, there's nothing on his agenda today suggests he will. he's not going to question period. He's got private meetings. So we'll see. Uh, we have seen some, some cracks in the conservative unity about support for the trucker convoy. Uh, last week, a conservative MP from Quebec, Pierre Paulus, he's a former colonel in the army, he says, forget it, these are not just truckers, you know, peacefully doing things. These are anarchists and radicals. He wants them moved. On the other hand, a Lethbridge MP, Rachel Thomas, she had an op-ed over the weekend uh, in which she was declaring her support for the convoy. So uh, we'll see uh, how the politics plays out. And don't forget, over the weekend, we saw the first entrant in the conservative leadership race, Pierre Poiliev. He's the likely front runner. We haven't heard from him. Uh, where he stands on this uh, state of emergency, and he represents an Ottawa riding. So not only does he want to be the conservative leader and prime minister, he represents an Ottawa riding. His constituents go to work in the downtown core. I'm one of them, and we haven't heard what uh, he has to say about this. All right, Global's David Aiken in Ottawa for us this morning. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Mackley McGarry and McNabb in for this Monday morning. McGarry, not here. He'll be back Wednesday, just taking a couple of days off. And we've been chatting this morning about the role kids and pets can sometimes play in the workplace with more people at home. More kids and pets are making appearances in video chats and Zoom meetings and all the rest. And so uh, we want to get your feedback on how you feel about that. We'll continue that just after 8.45. In about an hour's time, speaking of weather... We're going to get a visit with one of our great friends who is out and about hiking all the time. She works on interpretation for nature trails, and she tweeted something the other day about, pe- not pets, rather, but wildlife. And if you're ever mm-hmm. out and about, Greg, and you're out for a walk, and it's minus 50 or minus 45, and you think to yourself, I am wearing 17 layers, and I'm freezing. How on earth is that bird doing it out here? Well, she's got the answers. Oh, are we getting a physiology lesson? I cannot wait. A little bit. A little bit of feather might go a long way, I guess. I don't know. But it's something I think we've all thought a bit about, like, wow, it really is cold. But I know I get it. They're born and built for this kind of stuff, but it's tough. So we'll have that chat at 935 with Heather Hinman. And then at 1130, this just in from the province, we are going to carry at 680 CJOB at least a portion of a news conference from the province because last week they said that starting tomorrow they're going to ease up on restrictions. Many people, including yourself, Greg, said, okay, but where's the data? What's going on with the hospitals? What are we seeing in terms of how we're able to deal with what's been going on with Omicron? Well, at 1130, Dr. Josh Joss Reimer, who, of course, is with the Vaccine Task Force, Dr. Marsha Anderson, who is with the First Nations Pandemic Response Team, and Dr. David Matier, who is the health system colleague, who's really painting the picture on what's going on in the hospitals, that are going to gather and share with us a bit more about what's going on. So we'll carry that right here at 680 CJOB. But, man, there's lots of things to complain about and grape about, but I don't think sports was one of them this weekend, uh, Greg. It was a pretty fun Sunday, at least in our house. Yeah, for sure. And this is the time of the week, Monday morning, 8.37 or so. We uh, like to look back on the weekend that was in sports. And I've worked with this guy a few times over the past few years. Seems to know his stuff. 
So we're bringing him back again. Welcome <laughs> to CJOB, Bob Irving. How are you, Bob? I'm well. How are you guys this Monday morning with the weather improving ever so slightly? Oh, I like the way you're, you're coming at this, Bob. How was the walk this morning? That That's really a, a terrific weather gauge every Monday. Well, it is nice to not have to deal with minus 30 degrees. Uh, minus 13 feels kind of balmy, although there was a south wind this morning that had a bit of bite to it. But uh, no, it's a lot better than it has been, and I can only see it getting better now in the days and weeks ahead as the days get longer and winter slowly but surely creeps away from us. All right, sports and weather with Bob Irving Monday morning. <laughs> hey, a uh, place where there was no weather at play was in Las Vegas this uh, weekend. There were two all-star events in Vegas this weekend indoors uh, at uh, the NFL uh, Pro Bowl, the AFC-NFC Pro Bowl game, and the NHL had their all-star weekend. We can talk about that later if you want. We'll leave it up to you, Bob. But we're roughly 25 and a half hours from hearing officially what players are changing teams in the CFL. However, uh, how can we not begin on the pebbled ice? Manitoba's Kerry Anderson playing his team Canada wins her third consecutive national curling championship. Uh, it's a dynasty. I have an exclamation mark at the end of my script here. Not a question mark. Oh, I agree. Totally. You know, we compare in women's curling in particular, we sort of compare everything that happens to what Jennifer Jones and her tremendous teams have done over the years. Well, Carrie Anderson and her gang have moved into that conversation for sure. Val Sweeting, Shannon Burchard, and Brianne Mayer. I was glued to uh, mostly curling yesterday. I don't have a lot of interest in the NFL Pro Bowl. I watched it at Greg for a little while, and it's like a scrimmage or a practice. There used to, a few years ago when they played the Pro Bowl, there was actually some you know semi-serious tackling and hitting, but now the players just kind of they walk through the whole game. And, of course, the NHL All-Star game is gimmicky, too, with three-on-three. Three. And uh, I just – those things don't have a lot of appeal for me because there's nothing at stake, if you know what I mean. There's no real deep competitiveness, but there sure was in the curling. And last night I'm going back and forth between the Scotties final and the mixed doubles at the Olympics where John Morris and Rachel Holman were fighting for dear life to hang on to their hopes of making the playoffs. And then – Holman with a last rock shot and an extra end against Italy comes about a half an inch too far. They lose the game. They're eliminated. If she makes that shot, they move on to the playoffs. And then back to the Scotties where Anderson's powerhouse team, and that's what I call them. You know, they got together about four years ago. Four skips agreed to get together, Anderson, Sweeting, Burchard, and Mayer, and, and form this super team. And boy, have they ever been super. They went 8-0 in the round robin, lost their first playoff game, and then railed off three wins in a row, including an exciting win over Northern Ontario in the final last night. So they have for sure uh, moved into the ranks of the very best curling teams that we've brought out of our province over the years. And boy, that's some pretty select company because we've had a lot of great curling teams. You bet. It's always fun to wave the Manitoba flag and cheer them on. And Carrie will be joining us just after nine, Bob. And in the meantime, I want to just switch to CFL because we've had all sorts of discussions ahead of the official opening of free agency. We've had some big signings here in Winnipeg, but there will be some big names that could change uniforms this season. And we're wondering if Andrew Harris is on that list. Well, that's the big question hovering over the Blue Bombers right now. Loranis free agency comes tomorrow. Uh, Andrew Harris has not been signed to a new contract yet. I do know that there have been discussions with him 
But to this point, they have not uh, reached a stage where the two sides can agree on a deal. The Bombers have re-signed Johnny Augustine, one of their Canadian running backs. They want to re-sign Brady Oliveira, another one of their Canadian running backs. So what happens with Andrew Harris is still very much up in the air, and I would suggest to some degree in doubt. You know, if they haven't been able to reach an agreement at this point, you wonder if they're going to. And if Harris hits free agency, then the question becomes who would sign him. And there's all kinds of rumors out there that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders would love to stick it to the Bombers by signing Andrew Harris. And wouldn't that be a story at half? You know, in a perfect world, a perfect ending, Andrew Harris would uh, sign on again with the Bombers, play maybe one final year and go out in a blaze of glory as opposed to the possibility that he moves on to another team, in particular the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But there aren't a lot of storybook endings in sport. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I'm hopeful that the two sides can somehow come together and reach an agreement. It would be just nice to see Andrew have one more year in blue and gold, and he does want to play another year. He's made that uh, quite clear. And he's been such a key part in the resurrection of this franchise since he came over from BC as a free agent. He's played a tremendous role. And he played very well last year when he was healthy. We all know he missed quite a bit of the season, but when he was on the field, he was as productive as ever at the age of 34. So the next 24 to 36 hours are going to tell us a lot about uh, the future of Andrew Harris. I've been waiting for Sorry. Greg to boo here when you mentioned Saskatchewan, Bob. No. Go ahead, Greg. Like, well, as Bob says, there are very few happy endings in right. sport. And so often yeah, that does go kind of that way where – a star player maybe ends up, well, look at Brett Favre ending up with a Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> the, the, you know, the sworn enemy of the Green Bay Packers and all their fans. So uh, stranger things have happened for sure. I don't think it's anything that Blue Bomber fans would be happy about, but this is just sort of where we're at. Uh, give us 90 seconds or less. Where do you stand on all-star games, Bob? Well, I'm not a big fan of them. Uh, the baseball all-star game, I watched the first couple of innings to see each of the players introduced and see what their batting averages are and all that good stuff. And then you lose interest because the outcome of the game is meaningless, although uh, they did have a time where the all-star baseball game, the winner would then host game one of the World Series the following year. Uh, You know, the NHL all-star weekend is showing off the players' skills and how fast they are and all the rest of it, and there's some appeal in that, but the game itself doesn't really matter because nobody's sort of selling out. And then the football all-star game is... It's a bit of a joke, really, uh, if it's a matter. They had a huge crowd, too, in Las Vegas yesterday to watch this NFL Pro Bowl game. So I'm not a fan. You know, give me a competition where there's something on the line where it matters, like the curling game last night. Those That Anderson team won $108,000. $108,000. And people watch curling and go, ah, you know, they're just a bunch of amateurs and all the rest of it. Man, there's a lot at stake. And there was a huge amount at stake last night for Kerry Anderson and his team. So I'm into that much more than I am All-Star Games. All right, Bob. I mean, I uh, have to say I watched the skills competition and cringed a little bit. And I'm not really sure why. Just the lights and the Bellagio. And I wasn't really sure where things were going. <laughs> well, they vegas up the All-Star yeah. Game for sure. That, there's no doubt about that. And it was... You know, to some people, it would, they would find it quite entertaining. But I guess us hockey purists, and that's what we are here, right? Uh, it's just gimmicky as far as I'm concerned. All right, Bob. Thanks for checking in with us as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and hopefully you're out tomorrow in much warmer weather. Yes, I'm counting on it.
I get it. There's lots of things to bring us down these days, lots of things to be frustrated about, many looking towards the spring and what we hope will be reduced, lifted, changed, restrictions. We're going to hear more from our top doctors, the vaccine task force, as well as the co-lead for the situation in our hospitals. What's going on in the hospitals and how are things looking there? That update's coming at 1130 just to give us a sense of the health picture out there. So we'll carry that live at 680 CJOB. But Greg, in the happy column, we just have to talk about the Women's National Curling Championships, which were decided in dramatic fashion last night. It came down to the very last rock in Thunder Bay. Gimli, Manitoba's Carrie Anderson, Ring competing as Team Canada for a second straight year, claiming their third consecutive National Curling Championship. Yes, pure elation. The champions, alternate Kristen uh, Karawacki, lead Brianne Mayer, second Shannon Burchard, third Val Sweeting, and of course, our next guest. We are thrilled to welcome back this to the start, the skip, Carrie Anderson. Good morning, Carrie, and congratulations to you and the entire rink. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much. So there are only so many ways to ask, how are you feeling and how does it feel to, to win again in the, in the light of, of the day after the night before? How does this one feel, Carrie? Oh, it feels absolutely amazing to be able to win a national title three years in a row. It's pretty special and um, it's a tough field and uh, we gave it our all and uh, came out on top. Yeah, and as we mentioned, it sort of went down to that last rock, and I was watching and thinking it was going to go your way, but you never know how things are going to go, right? And you're up against Krista McCarville. That's the hometown team, the only team that beat you all week, and you swept the first team All-Stars for the week. But I'm just curious, like, what are you feeling in that moment as you head in to the championship? We Well, we actually didn't play them this week. Um, we played uh, Crawford. That was the team that we uh, lost to New Brunswick. Oh, that's my mistake. Sorry, Loren. I set no, you no, up no. for that. I watched it all, and I'm mixing up the team, so don't worry about that. So you hadn't played them. So that's different, too, because you might feel like an underdog going in then, given what they came over. Well, actually, well, we did lose to them in the trials twice, so we knew that we were going to have to play really well. We had a really great game, uh, two great games against them before, so... Uh, uh, they make a ton of shots, and they are the home crowd crowd favorite. So uh, uh, we felt like the underdogs going in. <laughs> well, that was the question. Were you the underdogs going in, even though I had complete, completely framed it incorrectly for Lorenzo? So apologies, Carrie. We are avid curling fans uh, on this show and, and in my house. And, of course, Andrea Crawford did such a terrific job, uh, the bronze medal winner. And it's so great to see, you know, other provinces i don't think new brunswick had had made it into the playoffs since something like 1991 so the the popularity of curling right across the country is is really maybe at a peak right now the television numbers are through the roof i want to ask you about reed Carruthers and and the fact you had him come in to coach this week what impact did reed have on how things went down Reed is an absolute amazing coach. We are so lucky to have brought him on board and that uh, his provincials was uh, postponed. So uh, it didn't conflict because originally it would have and we wouldn't have been able to uh, have him on board. But he's definitely uh, made a big uh, impact on our team and uh, his knowledge of the game, uh, helping us with strategy and just keeping things light and uh that's what we did all week we just needed to go out there and just uh keep it light and uh have fun and that's what we did 
I'm curious in that moment, because you have done this before and this is your third consecutive win, Carrie, who are you hugging? What are you saying? What are you doing? Like, what's the celebration look like this time around versus maybe how it looked in the two previous times? Well, in the first year that we won, we had all of our family and friends mm-hmm. there drive out to Moose Jaw, so that was pretty special. And uh, last year was a very quiet celebration. You didn't, you just looked at each other, we're <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> so it didn't feel quite the same. But uh, to be able to have the fans, uh, some fans there and our families um, drove out, my parents and the other parents came. So that was really special. And to be able to celebrate that with them and uh, run over and give my parents a big hug. And um, yeah, and just celebrating with the team. It's it, In this celebration, it was a little different because we didn't have hammers. So we were like mm-hmm. just hoping and praying that there wasn't some kind of a shot there. But um we uh, we didn't think there was, and um, we uh, it was a little nerve wracking. <laughs> I wanted just to jump in here, Greg, because at some point I think it was in the, at the very end there, Carrie. You, you know the camera's on you, and you're trying very hard to keep a straight face, but you did at one point turn and kind of go, "Yep, I know it's stressful right now." <laughs> like you know, it's hard to keep your composure and not, I don't know, like frown or turn away or what, because the camera's just watching you for your reaction the entire time. <laughs> I know. I looked up and I saw myself. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm on the camera. <laughs> I just like put my head down. I was like, ah. <laughs> um, it was very nerve wracking. Um, but uh, we always uh, seem to bring it down to the wire. <laughs> you never make it easy on ourselves. <laughs> Well, that's the nature of the game. It's such a game of inches. We saw, you know, millimeters what happened to Rachel Holman and and uh, and John Morris in the Olympics, uh, almost uh, congruently with what happened in your game last night, happening happening at exactly the same time. Canada's such a powerhouse, but Manitoba's place. We like to focus on that. Manitoba's place is a hotbed of curling. And you mentioned your parents. I'm a curling parent, and you know. It's. I think it's easier to play than it is to watch. Uh, talk about uh, the role your parents have played and in, in helping you get to this point, Carrie. My parents have been absolutely amazing. They're so supportive, and they have been ever since I wanted to chase this dream. Um, they would drive me around from curling club to curling club, my brother and I, and. Uh, um, it was if it wasn't for them pushing me, like I wouldn't be where I am today either. So um, I love them to pieces for for everything they've done with me, and um, to see them coming down and giving me a hug and uh, crying, and um, my dad right away just had tears, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was pretty special, and uh, uh, it was sad not to have my girls and uh, my husband there. Um, but uh, I will hopefully get to see them this evening sometime. <laughs> I don't want to get too far ahead. We've just got a minute left here, Carrie. But I'm grinning from ear to ear just listening to the joy in your voice. And I'm curious, <laughs> I has someone already asked you, what's next? What's next for Team Anderson? Like, where do you want to go with this? Well, we're definitely going to be um, getting back on the ice uh, maybe this weekend um, and just start uh, practicing and getting ready for Worlds mm-hmm. because uh, we want another crack at it. It didn't go the way that we wanted it last time. So um, we're excited to be able to uh, play in Canada and wear that maple leaf on our backs. 
Uh, the lack of international travel maybe will will help carry being on home soil, uh, some familiar somewhat for surroundings. We wish you nothing but the best of luck at the Worlds. We'll, we'll keep in touch, keep an eye, of course, on on how things go for you. Uh, give uh, the rest of the team uh, our love, affection, and our congratulations. Well done, Carrie. I will. Thank you guys so much. Macklin and McNabb in for your Monday morning. Brett is back on Wednesday. Lots to talk about today. Of course, what's been going on with the protests, both here in Ottawa, will be part of the conversation. And at 1130, We've been talking about the easing of restrictions coming. When will we see potentially an end to those mandates? What's going to go on in our hospitals? What is going on? A reminder at 11.30, CJOB will carry a news conference that might give some answers to some of the hospital questions, at least. It's the Vaccine and Health System update coming with Dr. Joss Reimer, the medical lead of the Vaccine Task Force, Dr. Marcia Anderson, who's with the First Nations Pandemic Response Coordination Team, and Dr. David Matier. He's the health system co-lead and might give some numbers and some stats into what's going down in our hospitals. Are you looking for anything out of this, Greg, in terms of what might help answer your questions as we slowly ease restrictions in Winnipeg and Manitoba? 100%. That's the scoreboard for me. It's been the scoreboard since day one. Anytime we've reduced or changed uh, the amount of, of things that we can do, uh, the restrictions, if you like, that have been uh, maybe changed over the last couple of years. Anytime we're allowed to do more things, inevitably more people end up in hospital. That's just the way it's been. I know that when Premier Heather Stephenson and Dr. Rusin last week brought up this whole idea of reducing quote-unquote restrictions uh, in the not-too-distant future, and then we saw what starts tomorrow, uh, that was my first question, was based on what? Based on what numbers? Based on quote-unquote, what are you anticipating to see if and when we do that? Well, those new changed and enhanced or actually uh, reduced restrictions come into play tomorrow. What are we expecting to see? Because we didn't see or hear really any predictions, any forecast with regard to the number of people in hospital. What would the changing of the public health orders do? I'm hoping that we'll get a better idea of where we're at and where we think we're we're going to end up over the next several weeks. Yeah, so an overall vaccine and health system update coming at 11.30. In the meantime, it is warming up, but it's still winter. It's still cold out there. And when it comes to cold, many Manitobans, I think, have a threshold. Like it might be too cold for you to go for a walk or toboggan or downhill ski or whatever when it's minus 45. Maybe that threshold's minus 35, minus 25. It might be minus 15. Everyone is different. And yeah, you can dress for the cold, but sometimes even what we wear just isn't enough. So this is why this next tweet caught our attention last week. It comes from the account of Heather Hinman at Second Nature Manitoba, Second Nature MB rather. She's a nature educator and interpretive planner. And a few days ago, she tweeted, quote, I get a lot of questions about how our wildlife can survive the cold. It can be minus 35 and you'll still hear and see signs of animals everywhere. How do they do it? She goes on to say, I thought it might be fun to take a look at some of our wildlife's amazing adaptations for winter. But rather than reading that whole thread, Greg, mm-hmm. we thought... Brett's we- off today. Yeah. But his response when Loren shared the tweet, I wonder this all the time. I've got 10 pounds of winter clothes on and I'm still cold. How does a bird the size of a hacky sack not freeze to death? Nature educator, the aforementioned Heather Inman, joins us now. Good morning, Heather. 
Good morning. How are you? We're doing really well. I know I don't even need to check the temperature most mornings because uh, if my dogs are unprepared to step over the threshold and go outside, I know that that (laughs) it means it's really, really cold out and that I had better have plugged the car in. So dogs (laughs) and cats, I think, have their own barometer and their own temperature gauge as to what's too cold for them. But this whole idea of these these animals that tend to never mind stick around in winter almost thrive in winter it, it mm-hmm. doesn't make a ton of sense when we look at them <laughs> well it's you know there there's a lot more going on under the surface than i think people realize and yeah you're right it, it is hard to imagine something the size of a chickadee making it through the winter but um, they're very well they'll very well geared up for for that and it's you know thousands millions of years of evolution that have equipped them for for getting through our cold winters so is it that they're used to it heather or they've become accustomed or like what's what's well, part of the makeup yeah. that allows you know it's just a few feathers but it's clearly more yeah well i mean first off i mean a chickadee is very small so and usually in the winter chickadees add about 50 percent more feathers so that's like hmm. adding several more down coats on top of that. If we were to be trying to do that on a relative scale, a human would have to add several more coats to, to have the same effect. So that ultimately makes them much, much warmer. Um, some small birds actually up their metabol- metabolic rate um, quite a lot. So things like red poles, which are little um, finch-like birds, um, can bump up their basal metabolic rate five to seven times. And they can actually handle temperatures down to minus 70 degrees Celsius. Um, and so basically they just stoke the furnace and um, keep the fires burning. Of course, that needs a lot of food. So they do, um, you know, they will eat constantly um, in order to try to stave off um, the energy costs of trying to keep themselves warm. Um, but yeah, and I mean, all of the, the one that I hear all the time is how do their feet not freeze because their their feet are bare. And so they don't have that. Their, some some birds will add more feathers to their legs, um, but the little guys don't. And so they actually have what's called a countercurrent heat exchange system. So the veins and the arteries in the legs run right next to each other, and they form kind of a network um, called a reet mirabile, which means a miracle network, really. Hmm. Um, and what happens is, is when the warm blood coming down the arteries heads to the feet, it's passing right by cold blood that's coming back up from the feet in the veins. And so that heat that's in the arteries actually passes into the veins, warming the blood on the way back. So by the time the blood hits the toes, it's actually probably close to freezing. It's it's probably maybe one or two degrees Celsius. Instead, well, the core temperature is probably around 40. And uh, so that keeps Five the core warm, facts is presented really need by Texas warm. Oncology. Hang on, I don't know what that is. And I didn't even <laughs> hit a button there. I don't even know who to blame on that one, Heather. So That's I apologize. Okay. You're, talk- you're talking about their feet basically being near freezing, yeah. but the rest of them's warm. Right, exactly. Yeah. So they their feet are always very cold and so they don't lose heat from their legs. And so that keeps the part that needs to be warm warm and uh, they don't they don't lose heat out of their toes. And there's not much down there. It's mostly bone and and keratin and some sinews, so there's not a lot of water to freeze. So their toes don't freeze. And that's how that's how they do it. Okay, I need a counter current heat exchange system. I'm trying to find one for my house here because it sounds very, very efficient, Heather. Well, and it's, so it's this the is the same reason why your dogs' are nose are cold, and they have one in their nose. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, and actually in their legs too. So their paws are usually quite a bit colder than the rest of their body. 
Okay, well, it's fascinating stuff. And so, do some of these animals like do they do they actually thrive in in the winter time? Like, are they sort of built for this? And and how are they yeah. eating? Because it would seem as though their normal quote unquote normal or usual food sources are under two or three feet of snow right now. Yeah, well, depending on what they're eating. I mean, seed eaters still have a lot to eat. I mean, there's cones and all sorts of stuff, and fruit eaters can still eat all the leftover fruit on the trees. Um, small mammal predators like owls and stuff actually are equipped to hear, the, hear their prey under the snow. And so like a great gray owl, for example, can hear prey under the snow from well, almost half a kilometer away or more. And so they use their ears to find their food. And then once they hear them, they just plunge down into the snow with their long, long legs and grab their food and um, and eat it. So even the little small mammals under the snow are not completely safe um, from their predators. And uh, foxes kind of do it the same way. They use their ears to find their find their prey in the winter, too. We're talking about wildlife here. Greg asked that question off the start, just about, you know, pets. And when your pets seem to know when it's too cold or they don't want to go out there, and we worry very much that their feet might be too cold, and you see these booties and these coats and all the rest. But you mentioned that dogs' paws have a bit of a system in them, that they aren't feeling things the same way we would. When it comes to wildlife, like the birds, the rabbits and all the rest, mm-hmm. Heather, do they, like, are they shivering? Because you, you, it will look like a bird's shivering sometimes. Some. Some do. Um, a lot of birds, that, like a crow, for example, or a raven, they actually spend most of their time shivering when they're not flying. Um, that's their way of keeping warm because their feathers aren't as thick as, say, an owl, for example. Um, and so that's just a natural behavior for them to kind of keep keep their muscles warm. And so it, I don't know how they sense cold. I'm sure they probably can, but I, I don't really know. I mean, their threshold is obviously different than ours. And so shivering might not necessarily mean that they're uncomfortable. It just might mean that they're they're keeping themselves warm. But I don't want to say what they can and can't feel because I'm just not an expert on that. But they definitely can feel senses the same in similar ways that we do. I'm jealous and, uh, of some of the things that you've seen over the winter, Heather. <laughs> Your Twitter feed is filled with magnificent animals and uh these owls, uh, was it just yesterday or on the, or over the uh, weekend, that I was, guess? That was Saturday. Saturday we yes. were out looking for owls. Yeah. Talk so, about the, yeah. the owls and, and what a, I guess what a pure joy it is to, to see, uh, these owls out in nature and, and that, that yeah. connection because, because in the daytime they're supposed to be sleeping, aren't they? Well, because winter is is long and um, they need to get as much food as they can, a lot of owls kind of shift their their behavior to being a little more active during the day. So great gray owls are a good example. Um, They tend to hunt usually throughout the day and into the night um, just to keep the fires burning more or less. Um, but yeah, there's, this is a good time of year to see some of our owl species that are a little bit more elusive. Things like great gray owls, northern hawk owls, um, snowy owls are all fairly active and a little more visible this time of year. Um, so you're, you might find them if you go driving along some of our our more wilder roads. And actually, snowy owls, can be, you can just have to leave the perimeter and you'll probably find one or two out in the fields. Um, but yeah, they're, they're amazing to see. I mean, we try really hard. They're, it's, I mean, they're busy, they're working, and we don't want to disturb them. So we make sure that we stay a good long way away um, and use binoculars and long lenses so that we can watch them without disturbing them. Because, you know, if too many people kind of spend a lot of time chasing after one bird, it can be really stressful for them. So we try very hard not to make not to be a source of stress for these guys. Well, this is all fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You guys have a wonderful day.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.